Howdy, everybody, and welcome to another BP Movie Journal, the show we do where we talk about the stuff we've seen since the last time we did one of these. I'm David. I'm Tyler. Tyler? Yes. This, um, we probably won't have time in the main episode this week, so I'm gonna let's play one of our favorite games. Guess the celebrity sighting that oh, I had today. Okay, okay. Now, I forget how we play this. I, do I ask you quite like, You just yes, ask me no questions. questions? It doesn't okay. have to be yes or no. Okay. Just ask me questions. Uh, was it Luke Perry? <laughs> It was not. This is probably going to take a long time if you do it this way. (laughs) Okay. Uh, Let's see. So, was it a male or female? Male. Mostly TV or movies? Mostly movies. Mostly movies. Definitely mostly movies. Uh, Under 50? No. Well over 50? Yes. Over 70? Yes. I looked it up. He is 80 years old. 80 years old. Looks great, by the way. Looks great for 80. Yeah. Is it Michael Douglas? Uh, no. Okay. I don't think, think more a... of a character actor, although he was more, uh, he, I think he was a little bit more of a leading man when he was younger, like in the seventies, maybe. Okay. He was definitely a character actor now. Okay. Is, has he won an Academy Award? I, I guess you're not the no person idea, asking. But I could, I could look it up while you yeah. ask other questions. Okay. Is it, Leading okay, mostly leading man in the seventies. Uh, is it Donald Sutherland? Uh, no, but I think you're definitely barking up the right tree. Here. Is it Elliot Gould? Uh, no. Well, you've already seen Elliot Gould before, right? Have I? Didn't you see him at a Q and A or something like that? Oh yeah, yeah. He long goodbye. Q&A. Yeah. yeah. Um, okay. All um, right. Is see. it Bruce Dern? Uh, no. Damn. Let's see. He has been nominated for one Oscar. Okay. Oh, fairly. I mean. Not to, within the last 10 years, he was nominated for Best Actor in a Leading Role. Hang on now. Okay. Hey, hey, hey. Here we go. It's not Bruce Dern, though. That's it's not Bruce that Dern. Really, that's yeah. throwing me here. Yeah. Um, is he a uh, white gentleman? Uh, yes. Okay. Um, okay. 80 years old, mm-hmm. nominated in the last 10 years. Was he nominated in the last five years? No. Okay. So we're talking... Between 2000, is it Richard Jenkins? Nope. Damn it. You're, you're, yeah, you're. Oh, I went the other way with it. He was a character actor. Now he kind of gets more lead right. roles. Yeah. Um, oh, shoot. But this is a leading role nomination, which for a movie that I have not seen. Okay. Do you know if I've seen it? Yeah, I know you have seen it. I know, I'm pretty sure you like it because mm. we talked about it fairly recently. Son of a bitch. That's going to bother me. Because the person who directed it has a movie in theaters right now. Oh, Okay. Okay, what movies are in? Th- What's in the news today? Uh, let's see. It's not the. It wouldn't be that. No. It's uh. Oh, I'm running out. I I don't know. All right, ask more questions. Hang on. Well, what I need to do uh-huh. is think of the best actor nominees of the last ten years. But not the last five years. So you can not go not the last five years. So two thousand eight. Oh eight to thirteen. Okay. Oh eight. You got your Sean Penn who uh-huh. won. You got your Mickey Rourke. Uh huh. Wait, Richard, uh, no, uh, like, Richard Jenkins, Frank Langella. It was Frank Langella. All right. I saw Frank Langella. All right. Yeah, that's exciting. Yeah, he was having uh, uh, having lunch on the patio of a fancy restaurant near my work. I was walking to a less fancy, much less fancy restaurant. It was Chipotle. Sure. Get my my lunch, and uh, uh, yeah, he looks fantastic. Yeah, he's kind of great. I'm I'm. Uh, and I guess, yeah, in the 70s, he was like this smoldering, good-looking vampire, uh-huh. uh, yeah, Dracula. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and then, of course, he was Skeletor. And then nothing until Frost Nixon. 
Yeah, for which he was nominated. But not nothing. He did a movie called... I know, I'm joking. Starting Out in the Evening. Uh, yes, he did. Is, which is good. And he was in uh, Good Night and Good Luck. And he was also on a TV series. I was trying to think, when you mentioned movie or TV, they're like, was he on TV? Yes, he was on that... Do you remember that HBO TV series that George Clooney produced called Unscripted? Yes. Um, did you ever watch that? No, I heard it was bad. It's not... It's, I mean, it's fascinating to watch because the way they did it is they actually followed aspiring actors around and so they're playing versions of themselves and so mm-hmm. the, like but they would craft stories around what really happened to them but if one of them say got a big break and got cast in a movie opposite uh meryl streep as happened to brian greenberg yeah on suddenly that was part of the plot of the series oh that's okay that's neat um but frank langello was one of the actors act, like not playing himself he okay. was playing the thing the the, the thing it all centered around is all these people were in an acting class together got it and he was their acting coach and the thing i remember is that the you know um the ucb took over that theater on franklin mm-hmm. in 2005 this must have been like the last thing shot there before then because the where they have their acting classes on unscripted is that and i can't remember what the name of the theater was yeah because uh, the sign even used to still be up when it was first the ucb but that was before you moved out here yeah um uh but that was where they shot all of the acting class stuff um all right at, at the ucb well that's exciting i'm glad i got it admittedly i had to do it in a way that makes me particularly nerdy i can name like supporting actor always because it's always a f- maybe my favorite category of every year uh-huh. um and then actor and then supporting actress and then actress oddly enough tends to bore me <laughs> i know uh-huh. it shouldn't uh and then i couldn't i could never i'm not great with director um but you know the actor but so. i know supporting actor for sure um so um, yeah all right well uh let's okay. pay some bills indeed so this movie journal is brought to you by mini flicks the premier streaming site for award-winning short films uh it features films that have premiered at Cannes, sundance uh, the toronto international film festival or tiff as people in the know call it uh and many more so you can see what was that i might be going oh might be well i mean it depends on accreditation oh sure sure i have to be accredited but i will tell you this um <laughs> I'm not, i should have mentioned this off mic but battleship retention has already paid for my airfare <laughs> because the deal was too good and i was like so if you don't get accreditation then you're just taking a, a vacation i'll probably i'll still go and try to cover the festival in some way okay you know what i mean like do standby tickets or whatever all right but uh yeah <laughs> the deal is too good so earlier this week uh, we did buy airfare for me to toronto so let's I was wondering what that it. big chunk of money was yeah, that was that gone was. okay all right listeners thank you for paying for david's <laughs> airfare and check out that uh, harry potter uh yes please commentary honestly series. yeah the commentaries but no that's let's not, not plug something in the middle yeah. of it a sponsor <laughs> yeah hey you started but no yeah, this no. is uh <laughs> okay. this is what helps us but yeah so uh yeah Yes, indeed. Uh, so thank you to Miniflix for uh, for sponsoring this movie journal and helping us to cover uh, the premier film festivals. So be, David, be on the lookout for short films at TIFF. But if you miss any, I've got good news okay. for you. Oh, good. You can go to Miniflix. Uh, 
Let's see. It also offers several uh, Oscar-nominated and Oscar-winning short films unavailable on uh, other free video platforms. New films are being added each month, and you can watch these incredible award-winning short films anytime, anywhere, on any streaming device for only $3.99 a month. Or, as a Battleship Pretension listener, you can get a free 30-day trial of commercial-free, again, they really wanted me to underline that, commercial-free, award-winning short films. Just go to the page... Oh, so what? here's what you do. You can either go to uh, miniflix.tv slash battleship, or if you are at, if you're listening to this movie journal from the Battleship Pretension page, you'll notice at the bottom of this post uh, is uh, an ad for miniflix. You can click there and you can get where you need to go. Uh, so, okay, but... I want to, before we uh, sign off here, I wanted to let you guys know about uh, this week's uh, movie recommendation from uh, Miniflix, available on their streaming platform, of course. It'd be weird if it wasn't. Um, uh, an adaptation of a best-selling short story series. Uh, it's about a man named Jacob uh, trying to get into a psychiatric hospital to visit his father to fulfill his dying mother's final wish. Before he can meet him, though, Jacob speaks to the doctor in charge and learns of the events that landed his father in the care of the facility. Directed by German uh, filmmaker Dustin Luce, L-O-O-S-E. I mean, yeah, I don't know if so that's I'd how you'd it. say it in German. But anyway, uh, it is the winner of the 2015 Student Academy Award. It is called The Last Will. It is a moody and at times very unsettling film with a twist you will not see coming. So you can find that at Miniflix. And be sure to go through the Battleship Pretension portal uh, and you get a free month of commercial-free short films. All right. So... Um I'm just going to start talking about what I watched. All right. Uh, I watched a 1971 uh, horror film uh, called The House That Drift Blood. Oh, okay, yeah. Have you seen it? No, I've heard of it. Yeah, you, you dig it. I think so. It's a... Um, this is something... Okay, I think... Uh, I I don't know if there's what the distinction is between an anthology horror film and what's called a portmanteau horror film. Oh, okay. I think because... Because House of Drip Blood has a, a story overall, but it's broken down into segments, mm-hmm. I think that makes it more of a portmanteau, as, a, as opposed to a strict anthology, it would just be like chapter, you know, like ABCs right. of Death or whatever, which is this, this, this. So, uh, but anyway, the, the premise is that a um, detective comes to this small town to investigate a recent crime. We don't know what the crime is yet uh, that's taking place at this house. And in trying to get to the house, he keeps hearing other stories about other fucked up shit that has happened at this house. Okay. So you get these sort of like, now which house is this? It's the house that drips blood. Got it. Okay. Um, although that's one of those just like schlocky horror things. They just like that at no point in the movie does the house drip blood. Uh-huh. It's just like, they just give it one of those fun names, you know, to get people, get asses and seats. It just like has that. like, you know, mold and stuff. Um, but it has, uh, a fantastic cast. Okay. Um, so the first, uh, uh, I'll break it down by, by story. The first story has Denim Elliott in it. Okay. Uh, and he plays a uh, horror writer who has come to, he's had uh, some writer's block and he needs to get out of the city. So he and his wife have rented this house so he could work on his novel. And then he, so he like is like suddenly taken with inspiration, but then the monster villain that he's created in his novel starts actually showing up like he starts losing his mind and seeing that guy around the house and in the, uh, on the grounds or whatever. Real quick. Uh-huh. 
I had an idea for an episode. Let me know okay. if you think this is a good idea. Things that movies have taught us. But he, the thing is this. Uh-huh. They have to be like tongue in cheek. Like, for example, if you have writer's block, don't leave. Uh-huh. All right. <laughs> don't leave the comfort of your house. Maybe go to a coffee shop, but do not leave sure. the city. Yeah. Being an example. Um, uh, so that's the first one. And the second one, you've got uh, um, uh, Peter Cushing, who has um, come to the house to... Uh, He's basically he's retired and he's like I want peace I want a time to I want time to read and listen to music uh, and occasionally walk into town when he walks into town he finds a wax museum where there's a wax uh, woman who looks exactly like the one that got away from his youth mm-hmm. you know but uh, and so he becomes obsessed and then his friend played by Joss Ackland hey all right shows up and then also becomes they both become obsessed with the same uh, wax woman. <laughs> Uh, the third one is probably the best. I don't know. I think the Denim Elliott one is the best. The third okay. one is really good too. And that's the Christopher Lee one. All Christopher right. Lee, uh, is a widower with a young daughter, uh, who has moved to the, this house specifically because it's secluded because he doesn't want his daughter to be around other people at all. And you will, you will understand why over the sure. course of the story. The little girl, by the way, is the same little girl from whoever slew Auntie Rue, which came out the same year. Okay. So she clearly had a, a banner year of being a creepy British girl, yeah. <laughs> a creepy British Moppet. Undoubtedly um, the winner of the Golden Globe for best newcomer that year. <laughs> yeah. And then the funny, the fourth one, which is the, the, the crime that he's actually come to, um, that the, the the detective has actually come to investigate completely breaks the tone and becomes horror comedy hmm. all of a sudden where um john pertwee who was uh, one of the doctors doctor one of the who doctor oh okay. and you don't say he's a doctor who because the characters like the show's called doctor who but he's just called the character is not named doctor who. so he plays doctor who <laughs> right he's one of the as doctors. somebody who does not watch the um, show that is how i will view it uh and he is playing an actor who is shooting a movie nearby where he's playing a corny vampire and he's just a big ham, this guy. Mm. And, uh, uh, fun thing about that one. I, even though I wish I had known this beforehand, I saw it afterwards. So I could have looked out for her, but when they're on set an extra in the, on the film crew is Joanna Lumley. Hey, uh, absolutely fabulous. And for many other awesome things like Wolf of Wall Street. Mm. Um, and uh, I don't know Shrek two. Um, <laughs> She's in uh, the Cat's Meow, correct? Uh, that's right. Yeah, yes. what a great movie! What a great movie! Yeah, <laughs> I feel like that's one of those movies that someone can't mention it without me going like, "What a great movie!" It is great. Yeah. Uh, um, so uh, yeah, the House of Drip Blood is a ton of fun. It's like it, it, it has it has fun with the it being four different stories taking on different types of horror and being scary to different. Uh, well, I was surprised given that it's the whole thing is kind of corny. It's called the house, the drip blood. The first one, the denim Elliott one actually like really did get under my skin. It mm. was pretty, it's pretty scary. Just okay. this, this creepy guy showing up, you know, who just like, uh, denim Elliott will be out for a walk along the, there's like a pond in the backyard and he's like tossing a rock in the pond and he looks up and the guy's just standing on the other side of the water. Ugh. It's like, it's some pretty creepy stuff. Yeah. Um, and there's a part where like, um, he can see the guy, but his wife can't, you sure. know? So he like walks into a room and he's like, the guy's sitting in a chair. And then like, he says to his wife, like, don't you see him? And then the wife like walks over to the chair and like in some shots, there's a, it's an empty chair and some t- shots. Yeah. It's, it's him. And then she like, 
sits in the chair at the same time he gets up. It's, it's really cool stuff. Oh, and very scary. Sounds um, great. Yeah. So that's the house of drip blood. Uh, I can't spend that long on all of these. Oh, but the next one I was very excited to finally see it's coming out from film film movement. Uh, actually it might be up this week on blu-ray. I'll have a review up. Um, uh, Sergio Corbucci's the great silence. Oh, okay. Um, yeah. You and I off mic were talking about the hateful eight. The mm-hmm. reason I was thinking about the hateful eight is because I watched the great silence, which is a clear, like there's sometimes you watch Tarantino movies, you know, what like what the inspirations are. And then mm-hmm. sometimes you watch those movies and you're like, Oh, he just yeah. took all of this. Yeah, inspiration's very generous. <laughs> yeah. Like, I mean, there's like a whole scene in the great silence where there's two bounty hunters in a carriage in the snow one of them has a bunch of frozen bodies stacked on top, and then they come upon the as-yet-uninstalled sheriff of the town they're going to who has been stranded in the yes, woods. Yes, but when are you going to talk about the great silence, David? <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> um, like that, that whole sequence uh, is, is, you know, is the exact same chain of events. Yeah. Um, there's no live, uh, bounty. Uh, there's no Jennifer Jason Lee, uh, equivalent, but other than that, it's like the exact same scene. Uh, I will say this, uh, one thing you and I were talking about in the hateful eight is that, uh, as violent as the hateful eight is, it takes over two hours for any violence to happen at all. Yeah. In the, or maybe just under two hours, but a long time before there's any violence at all. That is not the case in the great silence. The, the body count body count in this movie is insane. Like the, the hero has killed like a dozen people before a word has been spoken in the movie. Um, but it's, uh, and so because it starts off like that, it starts off really violent. I was like, oh, this is going to be, this could be fun, but this is like clearly like, Exploitation. This is going to be right. like schlocky, uh, but it is very much not that. It, and that's that's apparently I don't know that much about Sergio Corbucci. Apparently, that's what his reputation was. I was talking about this on Twitter with our friend Kyle Anderson from Nerdist, hmm. uh, not our friend Kyle Anderson from Entertainment Weekly. Um, and he was talking about this was like Corbucci kind of proving himself, you know, because um, he had mostly made trashy, violent stuff before. Yeah. And so this one's super violent, but it gets really interesting where. Um, uh, um, Jean-Louis Trintignant plays a character named Silence because he's uh, he's mute, mm-hmm. um, and he um, is a fast draw, but he never he only shoots in self-defense. Okay, and Klaus Kinski plays a bounty hunter who will shoot anyone in the back as long as there's a bounty on them. Right, and so <clears throat> the movie really like raises all these questions about like what good is the law? Like both of these men are like ruthless killers. Mm. Um, and, but both of them are working within the law right. or at least the laws that existed in the old West at the time. Um, one of them is a better guy than the other. Uh, it's John Louis, John Louis Trintignant. Mm-hmm. It's, uh, you won't believe it, but Klaus Kinski plays the villain. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, but he's fantastic by the way, Klaus Kinski. Um, uh, he's, uh, again, you won't believe it, but he's playing it very big. <laughs> um, uh, which is, it's funny because of course we think of him that way, but in Herzog's Nosferatu, like he plays everything very down. All right. I never saw that. It's marvelous. Um, I guess he's, um, pretty restrained in his very small role, relatively small role in Dr. Zhivago. Yeah. Although that's a really good part of that. I, I go back and forth on how much I like that movie. Like I watch it, 
here's the thing. I'll watch Dr. Zhivago and I'll mm-hmm. be like, okay, that's obviously no Lawrence or no Bridget right. Kwai. But then like a year or two will go by and I'll be like, I need to watch Dr. Zhivago again. It's, I think it's, it's a prime example of a movie that isn't quite the sum of its parts, but mm-hmm. the parts are great. Yeah. But yeah. when you add them all together, it's like, yeah, all right, that's fine. Yeah. You know, I mean, Rod Steiger's great in it. Yeah. Uh, Tom Courtenay is in it and, and marvelous. And it's just, uh, it's a, I would say it's a great movie. It's just not, an essential movie like like many other lean films yeah uh but anyway yeah the great silence it does you know it's like i said it's very violent it's very heavy it's very bleak um but it's uh really beautifully made and the score by by ennio morricone Mm -hmm. uh again huge surprise it's amazing yeah uh all right um, now I was looking at the uh the director's uh, filmography and he did make uh Django which I've in seen. 66. Right. So, uh, clearly a big influence on Tarantino in every way. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and the great silence is 68. This is the 50th anniversary. That's why film movement is putting out this Blu-ray that looks, looks very good. Mm-hmm. All right. And then the next, I guess it's technically three films cause there were a couple of shorts, but they're all by one director. I went to the arrow theater. They did a whole weekend. This is only one I went to. They did a whole weekend, uh, of, uh, films by Yuri Trinka, the, um, Czech Czech, I think, um, uh, animator in the forties and fifties. Um, and so the first, um, um, the first short they showed was a, uh, um, dialogue free, um, like 11 or 12 minute short called the Mary circus. That was just animals doing like animated animals doing crazy shit, like juggling and yeah. like dancing on top of each other. And then, uh, an audience of children applauding. It's, it's very charming. Um, the next one was a very short, uh, a much even shorter short called the animals and the brigands, which, um, I, to be honest, I don't like, I couldn't quite follow what the plot of this very short thing is, but it's mm-hmm. basically just like, uh, it kind of will feed into what the feature is in, in a way in that it just takes place in the woods and there's a bunch of animals and then there's a bunch of, I guess, I don't know, highwaymen or they're brigands. They're, yes, uh, there's <laughs> blackguards. They're, spe- they're spelling it out for you, David. <laughs> yeah. Um, and they're just spending a night sort of frolicking around in the woods, uh, which is similar to the plot of the main feature, which was an adaptation of a midsummer night's dream. That is so beautiful. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's only uh, 72 minutes long, which is nice, but also like this is Shakespeare we're talking about. And yeah. then also I always forget every time I see, a movie or in one case, a stage production of a midsummer night's dream. I always forget how much more of how much more story there is after they get out of the woods the next, do you know what I'm saying? It's been so long since I've seen any version of it that okay. I don't remember. Like I, cause when I think of it, I just think of like that night in the woods and all yes. the magical things and like people, you know, puck making different people fall in love with one another. And mm-hmm. it's like great. And then like they get one. There's a whole thing about all the weddings and who's doing what, like that. I always forget about it. And so even in 72 minutes, it weirdly felt long because I, I just feel like I don't care about the aftermath. Yeah. It really is just, yeah, it's an aftermath. It's an extended resolution, which on one hand, yeah. like, yeah, okay, great. Everything's working out. But then at the same yeah. time, like, yeah, as it turns out, removing any conflict at all will, uh, <laughs> make me look at my watch a little bit. Yeah. And I guess this is just Shakespeare where everything had five acts. So yeah. the, the denouement has to be like an entire act, um, or whatever. But, uh, so Midsummer Night's Dream is done. Uh, I, I should have said the first two were both like, uh, um, 2d hand drawn animation. Or actually the first one was kind of had some like South Park style, style mm-hmm. like, uh, I'm not sure what you call that when it's paper, 
like early South Park. Yeah, uh, I don't uh, know actually. I'm not sure what that's what that's called. But this one is more um, uh, stop motion puppetry type of uh, of stuff. Um, but it also has a whole lot of like dissolves and fades, uh, befitting the dreamlike you know nature of, mm-hmm. of the of the story. Uh, and so you've got Puck. Um, as a fairy, you know, sometimes it's done in like double exposure. So he's flying around, mm-hmm. uh, and he's kind of see through, you know, um, and, uh, uh, there's some really beautiful, I'm, I'm always amazed with whether it's Leica or anything when I, when I, with, uh, or whether it's Wes Anderson stuff, like when it's stop motion animation, I'm always amazed or animation in general, just like how fluid, motions can be when you think about yeah. how meticulously they had to be planned out. Yes. So there's, uh, there's a part where they're dancing. That's just amazing. Um, but there's, there's one scene where, um, uh, like the one guy is trying to kill the other guy and puck keeps like turning, uh, like he throws a, uh, what is he? He throws like a spear at him and puck like turns it into a bird in midair and it flies mm. away, you know, that's neat. And it's so, it's so beautiful. Um, it's it's really really cool. I'm not sure if there's anywhere that you can find uh, this. I've looked. There's some other Yuri Trinka stuff on on uh, you know well, on demand that you can find. But uh, yeah, Midsummer Night's Dream. Really glad that I went and checked and, and checked these out. Uh, all right, you're up. All right, now you saw the Great Silence. Uh huh. I saw a Quiet Place. Oh. So let's just keep everything nice and low. Nice and chill. Um, yeah, you have not seen it, correct? Uh, no, I have not. Okay. Um, yeah, it's something that I was very excited about, but, uh, as tends to happen, uh, Jen wanted to see it. Now, usually when that happens after a couple weeks, she'll be like, you know what? Just see it. <laughs> uh, Cause she's not going to get to, but this is something she was very excited about. She's, uh, she is not usually that into like, Hollywood gossip or relationships, but she's very invested in the marriage of John Krasinski and Emily Blunt. She's like really rooting for them. And Uh so the idea that they would be in this film together that he directed, uh, was something that Jen was very interested in and she likes horror movies. And, uh, it is great in, in a lot of ways. Uh, as you know, I'm always nervous when an actor directs and I know it's not his first film. Um, but, uh, you know, horror is not actually an easy thing to make. Uh, it's made a, a lot of horror is made, um, mm-hmm. usually yeah, at true. very low, uh, budgets, but, um, <clears throat> but I think it can be very difficult to get right because you don't want to, you don't want to, like, if it's a monster thing, you don't want to show the monster immediately. And even once they're introduced and you actually get a sense of what they are, like, you just don't want to get too used to it. And so I, I do think that the way he uses monster and the way uh, monsters and the way he uses shadow and, f- uh, the way he uses focus, like one of the, one of the, one of my favorite horror things. And it's something I don't think I've ever verbalized. Cause I don't think it's something I've ever really thought of is when something that is out of focus moves in the background. Mm-hmm. Because then it's like, well, I have no idea what that is. Now, in this film, you know, it's, well, it's probably one of those monsters. <laughs> uh, but, um, but yeah, it's, it's just a really nice uh, moment. And there's a couple things that they do that I think I would just 
if I had my druthers, I would, they would not do it. Like the music is by Marco Beltrami mm-hmm. and it's a very good score, but part of me is just like, Oh, they just shouldn't have had any music at all. You know, like, like the birds or something like yeah. that, given the nature of this film and how unsurprisingly quiet it is. Um, and does it, it like stays quiet a lot. The movie. Yes. Okay. The bulk of it, like the characters speak in sign language, uh, until with, with a couple of exceptions, there are probably, I don't know, maybe 30 words of dial, uh, 30 lines of spoken wow. dialogue. Um, and so, so that's the other thing is the sound design has to be great. Every little thing, every little movement, every little thing placed on a table, whatever it is, has to make a noise to really play up how much we're not hearing that we usually do in a movie, uh, which is to say dialogue. And it's just not, it reminds me of, um, I was watching a red letter media video years ago in which they were talking about tremors and they Mm -hmm. said that they really loved the sound design in it. And then they pointed out why, and that even before we know what the graboids are or that they're underground or anything like that, uh, was it Ron Shelton? Is that Uh, the name? Ron Underwood. Ron Shelton did, um, does the sports movies. Um, oh yes. Okay. Okay. So Ron Underwood. Did he do Bull Durham? I think he did Bull Durham. Uh, he's done more. Yeah. Um, okay. So Ron Underwood. Did he do white man can't jump? Maybe. Is that Ron Shelton? Maybe. I don't know. Um, but yeah, the, the, uh, Underwood still, he has, when the characters are like walking along, uh, like when, uh, so I realize I'm talking about tremors, not a quiet place, but I, just to yeah. give an example, um, when they're at the doctor's, uh, house that they're, that is being built after the doctor has been killed and his right, wife has right, been, right. and as they're walking along, like one of them accidentally like just kicks a bucket and the, and like a metal bucket and the sound design is like played way up. And then as a character is like walking down a board, it's just like clomp clomp and just, and it's the kind of thing that you don't even know that this is a thing yet. You don't even know that sound and vibration is so important, yeah. uh, but he's just like planting this seed for you. Um, and that's very much what a quiet place is so that every, and then if you hear anything, it's so jarring um, and, and frightening. And it's one of those things, you know, as we've said before, for me, a movie that is truly scary is one that will, that you'll carry with you out into your real life. And while I'm not scared of these monsters, I was hyper aware of sound and hyper aware of the sound I was making. Not that I was even afraid that anything would happen, but you just learn to be attuned to that by the end of this film. And so it's a, it's a really solid movie. Uh, in a lot of ways, I liked it a lot. It is not a movie I think I will ever revisit because it's just not that kind of, it's not fun and that's okay. okay. That's not a problem. Um, but yeah, it's, uh, you know, afterwards Jen and I had dinner and she just said, it's like, wow, that was really stressful. (laughs) And, and it is. Um, and yeah, it's just not something I could see myself, uh, returning to, but that doesn't mean it's bad. It means it's so good at what it's doing that, uh, I I don't have, I I don't think I have the spine for it. Um, Okay, before we move on, yeah, Ryan Shelton is definitely the sports guy. He did Bull Durham, okay. White Man Can't Jump, Cobb, Tin Cup, and Play It to the Bone. Oh, wow. And then he went to his cop uh, phase, and he did Dark Blue and Hollywood Homicide. Oh, all right. Dark Blue's pretty good. Uh, Hollywood Homicide is not. Yeah. <laughs> um, 
Uh, also, uh, apologies to you, Tyler, and to the listeners. The the Stanley Cup is going on right now, oh, okay. and we're uh, the the Caps are up four to three uh, with only seven minutes seven minutes left to play. This uh, it's a it seems like a very good game. So if I'm a little distracted, it's because I am watching or following along in a hockey game on Who, my phone. Who's playing? Uh, it's the Washington Capitals and the Las Vegas Golden Knights. Sorry, the Vegas Golden Knights. The That's Vegas right. Golden and you've explained to me before. Didn't exist a year. Yes. And now yes. they're in the Stanley Cup final. The Caps have existed for 50 years and have never won the Cup. It's been 20 yeah. years since they've even made it to the, the final. So Either way, you're happy. Either way, uh, it's going to be exciting. And when I say either way, I mean... Uh, I mean, knock on wood, Caps fans, but the the Caps are going to win. <laughs> they're okay. up four to three, um, and, and they're already up. You know, if they win this game, they win. Whereas Vegas yeah. wins this game, it goes to Game Six. Right? Okay. Uh, all right. So moving on, back to some uh, corny horror. Um, I watched a movie I've always wanted since I learned about it. I've always wanted to see right. this movie. It's from 1972. It's called Night of the Lepus. Oh yeah, which is a movie about giant rabbits. Yes, it is. Uh, starring a surprising cast of Rory Calhoun, Janet Lee, and DeForest Kelly. Um, and uh, I, I don't know what I was expecting. Like, now Rory Calhoun, who's that guy that's always standing and walking, right? <laughs> I tweeted about that as yeah. I watched the movie because that is, yeah, I've seen two Rory Calhoun movies. Yeah. One, the red house from 1947. Okay. And then 25 years later, night of the Lepus. But I've seen that episode of, uh, of the Simpsons where oh, Mr. Yeah. Burns, who is that actor who was always walking or standing around walking Rory Calhoun. Yes. And, then la- and then later it calls it back. Look at the two of you standing on your hind legs, like, like a couple of Rory, Rory Calhouns. <laughs> so that's, I always think of that first. Um, but yeah, Night of the Lepus is a movie about giant rabbits um, killing people. Um, that would be actually kind of a fun. I mean, I, no one would buy it, but a commentary marathon like giant. Oh yeah, like uh, them, Food of the Gods, mm-hmm. Night of the Lepus, and maybe like Eight Legged Freaks or sure. some newer stuff. Sure, even though Eight Legged Freaks is over ten years old now, um, but it fits in the the mold. Yes, that would be a fun commentary. No one would buy. No one would buy because no one cares about those movies. Yeah. Um, but, uh, yeah, it's, it's very silly. Um, but it's also, again, it, the movie is so straightforward. It mm-hmm. is never winking. It's so earnest that you almost like at times you like kind of forget that it's silly because everyone's taking it very seriously. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then there's just all these close ups of rabbits with like ketchup on their faces <laughs> to, to look like they've just like <laughs> torn some bodies apart or there's like clear miniature, like roadways or like they, at one point they're like, they're in the house. They're like hiding in the cellar and like, Oh, they're in the house upstairs. And it just cuts to what's clearly like a diorama someone made and a bunch of rabbits <laughs> just like walking around. Um, it's, it's very funny, but, uh, made in all earnestness, I guess. So, uh, uh, good for them, I guess. Yeah. Um, and then next up, Oh, uh, I watched, um, solo, a star Wars, a star oh, okay. Wars story, yeah. which I think I, uh, I think I like more than you do. Yeah, um, probably. I mean, yeah, you said it was fun, but I think I really, really enjoyed it. At first, the opening, I was like, "There's." it was so focused on the golden dice that we had just seen at the end of Last Jedi, and I was like, oh, this is going to be some nonstop fan service shit, which is something I was afraid of. Yeah. But I think uh, once, as the movie goes on, I realized, like, okay, if I'd never seen another Star Wars movie and didn't know about the golden dice they pay off enough within the movie sure. that I'm 
fine with it. Like it doesn't seem like fan service. There's, there's, there's fair, there's surprisingly little, like there's a movie that the, the movie is on the one hand, it's nothing but fan service, but it's created and executed as enough of a standalone movie that most of the fan service doesn't, uh, ring out as such. And there's a couple things I like references to Tatooine and a, a big, a really big gangster, yeah. you know, like that. I was like, okay, but like even like the Kessel run stuff, which I was dreading ended up being an awesome sequence. Um, yeah, uh, for the most part. Um, <laughs> see, I liked it more than you did. Uh, although my favorite sequence is the escape from Kessel, the, the, the lead up to the Kessel run, the escape from when they go to the mine, uh, oh yeah, yeah. The big breakout and like yeah. that whole sequence is uh, nice, fantastic. Um, yeah, got that net. <laughs> um, uh, uh, and that, that's the thing. I, I think I think the train sequence is my favorite. I really like. Yeah, that sequence. people said that. Yeah, it's yeah. it's definitely good. They're all good. I think I like that. I, I like what these spinoff Star Wars stories are allowing uh, them to do with the material, which is kind of you know, they haven't gotten too adventurous with it, but kind of play around in other genres that we haven't necessarily mm-hmm. seen, you know, because a star Wars like episode, a saga movie has to be something grand. Yes. Do you know what I mean? And so these can be a little scrappier. So with rogue one, you had the world war two, like mission platoon on a mission type of movie, which mm-hmm. is a subgenre in itself. And here you had like an action heist pick, yeah. uh, complete with, uh, multiple double crosses. I don't want to spoil. Uh, I know a lot of people have apparently haven't seen solo, so uh, I don't want to spoil it, but yeah, there's a bunch of double crosses. Um, I, I really like Paul Bettany's character. Yeah, I did too. Um, I was surprised. I, I don't want to sound mean. I was surprised by how much I liked Amelia Clark because I don't, uh, in the couple of thing, other things I've seen, I don't think she is, um, uh, that well-rounded an actress, but I thought she was, I thought this was a, a, a good role. Uh, for her. Um, and yeah, I, I mean, I really liked all the cast. Uh, it's uh, apparently the thing for me with these star Wars movies or these star Wars story, like spinoffs is going to be the droids. Cause I loved K two S O and I love L three, um, in, in this movie. If they scaled her back just a bit, I think I would have liked her more as it is. It's like, uh, and maybe it, I think what did it for me is when there's a moment when she says, they don't even serve our kind here. It's like, Oh, I get it. They say uh, that in uh, new hope. Uh, also, see, like, I didn't know that. Oh yeah. You know, it's been like, um, it's been more than 20 years since I've seen star Wars and even longer since I've seen empire or Jedi. Um, I feel like I like, because they've never left the public conversation. Right. They still feel kind of fresh in my memory. Did you watch them a lot as a kid? Uh, yeah. And then when they put the new edition, what's it called? The, they, there's a name for those, but the new editions that came out with, it's not new edition cause that's a right. the R&B group. Or special edition. Uh, well, yeah, let's say special edition. When they, they put those out, I saw star Wars in the theater yeah. and then I never followed up with the other two. So I've actually never seen the special editions of empire or Jedi. I've only seen the home video versions from when I was 10 years old or whatever. The special um, edition of empire is not really that different. At least not that I recall. They do a lot, uh, to a new hope and they do quite a bit to return of the Jedi. Okay. Uh, very much to their detriment. Um, yeah, I was going to say like, or would I even notice because I haven't seen it, but it's, that's the thing is it's so glaring the, the quality of the, 
uh, effects. Or and the tone. That's the thing. Uh, the oh, tone okay. is so very different. Um, but, uh, yeah, I was just, I, I, I really dug solo. I think, um, you know, I mentioned just as an aside that I haven't seen the original trilogy in so long, but I'm wondering if that helped me to like it more because I was more able to just engage with solo as solo and not as like a Han Solo origin story, because I don't have, like I said, it's been even longer for, for empire. So I have very little memory, uh, uh, of Lando Calrissian's performance, you know? So, if Donald Glover was doing like an impression, uh, it wouldn't have really, right. um, it, yeah. Uh, I do uh, think so. the movie works best as just a, a very expensive fan film. Um, I mean, I recognize that it is now canon, that's fine, but it can stand alone. I think for the most part, yes, there's all kinds of references, but I do think a person could watch it without really knowing anything else. And I think enjoy it. And I think they might enjoy it more than the people that love star Wars. In fact, I think that's almost a guarantee. Uh, yeah. Um, so yeah, I, I don't know. I guess I don't have anything else really to say. It's good that I, <laughs> I was really uh, blown away. Uh, not yeah. blown away, but I was, I really surprised myself with how much I liked. So, yeah. Um, and then, uh, I'll, I'll finish up with a movie that I saw earlier this week that I was really, really looking forward to. And it mostly delivered almost entirely delivered. Maybe it fell a little bit short and that's, uh, Ari Aster's hereditary, which I've been hearing about since I didn't see it at Sundance. Um, uh, and everyone said it was the most terrifying movie at Sundance and that it's the, it's, it's one of the scariest movies. Uh, and, uh, yeah, at all tracks, it's, uh, the movie is super, super scary in ways that are not according to necessarily according to convention or formula. Mm -hmm. It seems like these, this is that Ari Aster is taking the characters in their situation and letting the letting that dictate sort of how the scares come to them. Yeah. Uh, at least for most of the, for most of the movie, um, which is a long time. The movie's almost two hours and 10 minutes long, which is long for a horror movie. Yeah. I have to say, um, uh, although I was just reading about one of my favorite horror ish movies is Jacob's ladder. And, uh, there, I was just reading on the AV club about how, which I've noticed before that the horror part of it kind of stops in the, like halfway through, it kind of stops being horror. Yeah. And apparently that was because, uh, test audiences found this stuff too disturbing. And there's like 20 something minutes of like fucked up shit that was in the second half. Some of which is available on YouTube, oh. uh, which I haven't watched, but I would love to see that put back in even though it would make, Jacob's ladder nearly two and a half hours long. Yeah. I would, I love that movie. Uh, I think it's the best Adrian line movie that and unfaithful and my two favorite Adrian line. Movies. Unfaithful. I think um, definitely. Uh, but anyway, so back to hereditary. Uh, I, 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 my only, my only complaint is that it does feel like I, I expect something that is, I expect most movies to provide some sort of, uh, have some sort of emotional transformation or catharsis, uh, you know, um, mm. or, or at, at the end, um, that just seems like something that, is, that our art is kind of, uh, and it can happen as a big, huge thing. It can happen as a fake, what, uh, Jonathan Rosenbaum has called lightweight uplift, which I've mm. stolen and used in reviews before. Uh, or it can just be something very, very, very small, but it does seem like it, I, I don't need a story to have a resolution. I need emotionally to be feel, to feel like I was taken somewhere. Right. And my only problem 
and I think as time goes on, this will become minuscule to me. My only, my only problem with Hered- hereditary is that when it ended, I was like, oh, okay, that was fucked up, but it yeah. kind of felt like for as much work as pu- is put into situation and characters, it kind of felt like that's fucked up. It I, is a lesser <laughs> response than I should have had to the way it ended. Yeah. Um, but uh, as opposed to something like the Babadook, which is <laughs> right for yeah. me, kind of the gold standard of this type of movie of the last few years. Uh, yeah. Um, yeah. And this is a bit less, um, I mean, this is definitely, uh, more disturbing than the Babadook in terms of like actually seeing like gore and stuff mm-hmm. like that. Um, and it's less of a traditional monster movie. I get like the Babadook has a, I don't know. Monsters, the word it's like a poltergeist type right. of movie. Um, hereditary. You don't really, you kind of piece it. It's, it's almost like, a, I guess kind of a mystery. Like hmm. it's not until the end that it's revealed what really is going on here. Um, but, uh, really Ari Aster just, uh, relies on his cast and they are uniformly up to the task, um, to, to sell how, to sell how how fucked up all of this is, and and then again the anguish they're being put through. You've got Tony Collette as the the lead, definitely the mother of the family, uh, and then this all takes place after the death of her mother. Um, so it's all got this sort of like mourning, you mm. know, grief period uh, going on. And you've got the older son played by Alex Wolf, uh, and you've got the younger daughter played uh, by newcomer. Uh, Millie Shapiro, I think it's Millie Shapiro. Okay. Um, and they, the, the two children had very, very different relationships to the grandmother. Uh, she clearly had a favorite and it was the girl. Hmm. And so the way they are mourning is very different from one another. And you've got Gabriel Byrne just trying to be like, you know, my wife's family is like, there's a whole extended backstory with her family. Like I'm just, I just kind of need, need to be like the calm, solid rock. No. But as thing goes, things go on, he, increasingly just becomes like almost like throwing his hands up. Like there's nothing he can do about how fucked up things mm. are. Uh, and he's terrific. And I was talk- uh, talking to you off mic yesterday about how, how often Gabriel Byrne, who was almost 70 yeah. seems to play a dad to teenagers, you know? And one of the, um, one of the, the, the examples that I mentioned to you was the TV series in treatment. Yeah. Where I, I didn't realize I forgot, I'd forgotten until I looked at it today. Alex Wolf played his son on it, who plays his son in this played his son or at least the second, uh, the ones you didn't watch the third season. No, right? I didn't. Okay. So I think, uh, I looked at it. So I think on in treatment, Gabriel Byrne's son for the first two seasons is only in one episode a piece. And it's not Alex Wolf. It's a mm. different actor in the third season. There's a whole ongoing storyline with the son. And that's when Alex Wolf, uh, played him. Yeah. Um, and then the finally final member of the, uh, I mean, there's a lot, you know, a lot of people in the cast, but the final, the final, noteworthy member of the cast is Anne Dowd and she is so great. She's sort of the <clears throat> inciting incident type of thing. She uh, is a woman that Tony Clutt meets at a grief support group mm-hmm. who then uh, <clears throat> tries to convince Tony Clutt to get into like seances and contacting mm-hmm. their deceased, uh, their departed loved ones. And the way that, that Anne Dowd, she's, I, I mean, it's been forever. I mean, obviously she was in movies for a long time. I feel like compliance is where I really, yeah, it's been, I mean, what year was compliance? 12. Uh, okay. So it's been over five years. Uh, and I'm still blown away by her all the time. And the way this character, Joan, just the way that she fluidly cycles from being someone who is pitiable to someone who is incredibly 
nurturing and feels safe to someone who's a very terrifying presence. Yeah. The way that she just cycles through those things so fluidly, uh, is, is astounding to me. I think, uh, people are talking a lot about Tony Collette's performance and they should, it's the anchor of the movie and she is, uh, uh, I mean, you, you've got to, uh, you got to give it to, to her for going all out and, uh, I guess also give it to Ari Aster for, for, for being able to, uh, provide that safe space for her to, mm-hmm. uh, give as intense, I think about it. Tony Collette must've been exhausted at the end of every day in yeah. this movie. Um, I joked online that the hardest thing about, uh, having a movie website right now is deciding which, uh, image from hereditary of Tony Collette screaming her brains out <laughs> to use at the top of any post. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah, it's, it's a really impressive, like I said, I have this minor problem with the way that it ends, not, uh, necessarily seeming like it has a lot to do with, what came before maybe repeat viewings will fix that or maybe time will just make me realize what I'm missing or that it's not that big a deal for the most part. I think this is uh, a potential new classic horror movie. All right. That's exciting. All right. Uh, so I watched a film that uh, you have seen. It was just kind of a, uh, it was not a thought through decision, but I thought like, ah, oh, why not? So I watched uh, Maya Forbes, the polka King. Okay, I have to tell you, the Washington Capitals have won the Stanley Cup for the first time in their history. Good the for history. them. It is it is very exciting. I'm good happy for, for, for Alexander Ovechkin. Uh, that's I, very exciting. I like a good... I'm also happy for our friend Jack Drew, who's a long t- uh, lifelong... Oh, that's right. Uh, Caps fan. I actually watched game, uh, game four with him uh, at a bar on Monday. Hmm. We should have Jack by, back on the show. We absolutely should. Let's call him up. Right. Um, okay, so... Yeah, so this this kind of it's interesting that this film is for me the third in, in like an unofficial trilogy of Jack Black as deceitful, beloved, charismatic okay. person. School yeah. of Rock, Bernie, oh. and then this. Okay. Um, then this is the non-link letter. Yes, one. Uh, and this is certainly not those. Um, but it it really is i mean the character is over the top and jack black certainly plays him that way but there is something about him that makes the character ex- extremely sympathetic uh even as he is doing bad things and like he does it all like so that he can help other people like he's he's sort of like robin hood except he's robbing from other people that are not also doing well um although i guess they're doing okay if they can write these huge checks to him but um and so i find that interesting and i do think that it's it's definitely uh i'm not sure if i'd say it's a comment on the american dream or america but just you know at one point he sings this song in which he says you know i'm one of you uh yeah. like because the character is from poland and uh so he's an immigrant and now he he is his polka album has been nominated for a grammy and so he and he finds out on stage so he sings this song about being a, an american and so it's like okay well that seems and just there are american flags all over the place he he really embraces america so it's like all right well you i've learned from movies that you don't have the american <laughs> flag in a movie that much unless you're going to uh, unless you're negatively commenting on it um and so so, and I do, I, I'm curious to know 
because there have been like two documentaries made about this guy. So I'm curious to know why they chose to make this movie now. I think an argument could be made that there's uh, some political issues there, uh, not issues, but like some tie-ins where it's th- this guy who is charismatic. He's got this golden hair as uh, John <laughs> Mulaney would say. Um, he has a, a, an ambitious wife who is uh, not, not at all a, a lady Macbeth type, but she just has ambition of her own. Yeah. Um, and, but is still very loving and supportive of him. Um, and so, and I do think it's a lot of, so I do, I think there's probably some, some Trump parallels there uh, as well. But I do think that uh, I think that the performances really sell the movie to me. I think Jenny Slate is mm-hmm. wonderful. I even, uh, I enjoy Jackie Weaver, uh, right. as like just yeah. <laughs> who in a way it's almost like she's cat. That character is written that way and directed that way so that this guy who is kind of naturally unsympathetic will seem sympathetic because, mm-hmm. well, what are you going to do? Sympathize with her? I don't think so. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, for the most part, I enjoyed it. It's no Bernie. Um, cause I don't think, I don't personally think it grapples with the moral complexity, uh, the way Bernie does. Um, yeah. I think it's, uh, but I still enjoyed it and I still think it's a very interesting story and I yeah. think, uh, really wonderfully played specifically by Jack Black. I think it's a little thin is the problem. I, 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 I like all the ingredients. I just wish it had a little more meat to it. I guess. Uh, yes, I would say so. And that's, I think that's. Uh, a big difference between this and something mm-hmm. like Bernie, like yeah. Bernie, it had all of these same elements, but you also just like, there's something, uh-huh. there's something unsettling here, you know? Um, and, and I do think that like, if we're going to use this guy to comment on not the American dream, but just Americanism, you know, and what it is yeah. to become, you know, uh, a member of this society and that that's maybe a corrupting influence on this guy who just means well. Um, if you're going to hint at that, I feel like you can go so much deeper than they do. Um, it's yeah, it's definitely a trifle and I'd say it's it's light as a feather, but yeah. I think it's whatever depth is there, I think, is a function of of the performances. Um Maybe part of why I see it as so thin is because I saw it at Sundance and then immediately left the theater, ran to another screening room and watched Call Me By Your Name. (laughs) So I finished. uh, So, yeah, 25 minutes after watching. Yeah. uh, um, I already forget what it was called now. Polka. The Polka King. The Polka King. Yeah. I was watching Call Me By Your Name. So maybe it didn't stick in my memory (laughs) that well because of that. Um, Um, I did. I did. Did you mention Jason Schwartzman? Yeah. uh, No, I didn't. I didn't. Uh, I like his performance. I think it's very good. But like the I think Jack Black, Jenny Slate and Jackie Weaver, I think, are the ones that really uh, jumped out at me. Um, But yeah, so I I did enjoy the movie, but I wouldn't say it's a tremendous achievement. But it's it is interesting you know, in the, in the same way that, uh, I wrote something like back in the fall about Matt Damon being our, our go-to for like, uh, like American male desperation. Uh-huh. And it would appear that like likable, sympathetic huckster is kind of Jack Black's thing now. Mm-hmm. Um, not to imply that Bernie was full on huckster, but he was definitely, there was no, there wasn't like a showmanship to him. He wasn't putting himself out there publicly, except I guess he was a little bit. And certainly, uh, the character from school of rock is. And so I guess just, yeah. and I mean, 
his character in King Kong is kind of the same. Like, I guess he's just, that's just what he's good at. Isn't that strange? Yeah. Yeah. And I don't know if he's meaning to do it or if it's just the way it's working out. Um, this was a couple of years ago. Now they did a bit on the, the best show, the podcast and, uh, internet radio show that I love where they had a, a lawyer on as a guest. And then they ex- like went through the plots of certain movies and said, okay, if this happened in real life, what kind of jail time would this person yeah. be facing in school of rock? She was like, yeah, probably a life in prison. Yeah. Like it's not just the defrauding the public school system. It's also kidnapping an entire classroom of yeah. minors is probably going to get you life in prison. Yeah. <laughs> But you know that that's only if the parents are upset. But clearly, yeah. they're they're super on board with this by the end of the film. Because look, right. their song is really good. That's right. I do love School of Rock. I feel I don't mean to, to oh, bash been, it. Yeah. It's been a it's long, been a long time. time. 